you, Dan. Well, if you have your copy of God's Word and would like to open to the book of Proverbs, chapter 1, starting in verse 20, uh, we, will, we will consider the passage that Dan read and uh, a little bit into the next chapter as well. And uh, while you're turning there, I, I want to see a, a, a raise of hands. How many people knew that Ethan McNeil could play drums? The McNeil family knew because they could hear it all over the house. But Ethan, well done. Good job, man. Thanks for filling in. And uh, man, he, uh, I, I know he plays guitar and bass with the best of them. I've heard him play keyboard. And uh, I don't think there's an instrument he, he can't play well. So and Ethan, well done. Thanks for using your gifts and talents for the Lord. Um, so here as we, as we continue, continue to think about wisdom, I actually want to take a step back we just had art camp, and so in honor of art camp, I want to talk about art for just a moment. I've heard it said that, that art is something that requires contemplation, whether it's the visual arts or the musical arts or even uh, literary or poetic arts. There are things that are easy to see, easy to hear, easy to grasp on the surface. And then there are things that you see only after taking time to contemplate what's going on, hearing that musical refrain a little differently, rereading that, that bit of poetry, grasping the depth of what's in this picture. More depth, more color, more sounds and beauty emerge. For example, I want you to consider this painting. It's called A Sunday on the Grand Jatte by Georges Seurat. You see, there, there are certainly things that you can see immediately. There are those first impressions. You can kind of tell the story that, it's, that the artist is trying to tell. You can understand a bit of his color, his use of colors, of shadow, of shading, and of, of all sorts of things. You, can, um, you get the overall scope of the work. You get the general sense of the, of the time of day. You also get a chance to see at just an, at surface value what era in history this might be. But then, then as you take time to just zoom in on it, to look at it, you begin to see depth that wasn't there before. You gaze more deeply, more intently at the painting. You begin to see it for all of its intricacies and details. You begin to see more closely that it's made up of little dots which made me consider, when I first saw this painting probably 30 years ago, I was amazed at how painstaking it must have been for the artist to put each one of those little dots and have in his mind the idea of, wow, here's what I'm going to make with a bunch of dots. But then, with this specific painting, and I think with some others, you get a little bit of mockery. There are some things that he's doing to sort of make fun of our senses, to make us think about things, to make us view things, to make us take a second glance. For instance, the man blowing the trumpet, is he just an illusion? Look at the direction of the bell on that trumpet. Where is it blowing? Right back at him. Or the expression on the little girl's face. What is that expression? It's hard to do. Now you see all the dots, right? But it's hard to see what exactly she's looking. Is she having a good time? Is she wondering? Is she, what is she thinking? Or if you look out on the lake, is that really a steam-powered boat on the lake? It's a little bit difficult to see there, but is it the right proportion? Is it, is that, should it be there? And then 
there's the person fishing. Is that a man or a woman? What are they doing out there? And these, be, these things kind of mock at us. They, say, they, they ask us to sort of take a double take. Are you really seeing what you think you're seeing? But then after taking time to contemplate the details of this piece of art, we might zoom back out and just appreciate it for all that it is. And we get the reward of just enjoying the art for what it is. We get, the enjoy, we get to simply enjoy it and appreciate it and accept it. We get the blessing of what it is for what the artist is communicating. And I think we will find today that wisdom is a bit like a fine work of art. There are those, those first impressions that we get, that clear sense of right and wrong. Yes, this is what you should do. This is what you should not do. And then as we dive more deeply, we begin to comprehend the why behind wisdom's what. But then, of course, there is, unfortunately, a sense of mockery that can be held from wisdom. And we're going to look at what really that means. And then finally, there's an appreciation or there's a reward that wisdom offers those who grasp it. As we consider our, our, continue our brief pursuit of, of wisdom in a wacky world, we'll, we'll begin to appreciate the beauty and complexity of wisdom. And last week, we began by noting that wisdom, which is knowledge... Uh, that results in skillful living ultimately finds its origin in God. Wisdom isn't just something that we grasp a little here, from here, a la- grasp a little from there. Wisdom ultimately finds its origin in God. In fact, there are some who have said in years past, all truth is God's truth, which means that all truth, all wisdom is founded and established in God. And so as we consider the welcome of wisdom, we must recognize that it is ultimately God's wisdom, an invitation into the beauty of his word and his ways. We get to consider the welcome of wisdom as we are invited to heed's wisdom call and decide whether or not to heed wisdom's advice. And so let's begin where we did with the painting and look at the first impression because wisdom calls. Wisdom calls out. We could even say that wisdom welcomes plainly. It's as though wisdom is there greeting you at the door saying, hey, so good to see you. I'm glad you're just like Buddy was there at the door greeting us on the way in. Wisdom is very much that way. And there are clearly situations that prompt us to recognize that there is a truth, a reality that needs to be appreciated, that needs to be adhered to. Solomon, the the writer of this part of Proverbs, personifies wisdom as a woman who is plainly making her presence known. In some ways, revealing her as a town crier who makes proclamations. Look, Look at what it says in verses 20 to 23 in the passage that Dan read. This is a little bit of a different translation. It says, Wisdom calls out in the street. She shouts loudly in the plazas. At the head of the noisy streets, she calls. In the entrance... In the entrances of the gates in the city, she utters her words. How long will you simpletons love naivete? How long will mockers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge? If only you will respond to my rebuke, then I will pour out my thoughts to you and I will make my words known to you. In the time of the ancient Near East, when Solomon served as king, 
The gates of the city were where a lot of business transactions would take place. If you remember in the book of Ruth, Boaz it has to go to the next of kin to be able to make sure that Ruth and her mother-in-law are, are well taken care of. And they, he called the, the next of kin to the gates of the city. He called the elders there so that they could have witnesses and codify this transaction that they were taking place. So that's where we find wisdom, right out there where everybody's going to be passing by. We find wisdom in the shopping centers, in the plaza, where commerce is taking place. Wisdom, as Solomon describes her, is out and about. She's calling around. She's saying, hey, listen to me. Pay attention to me. She's not hiding. She's inviting. She's saying, come. But that kind of begs the question, how does how does wisdom do that? And I think wisdom does that in two ways. First of all, she does it through observation. There are things that all of us come by in the course of growing up. There are things that we get to learn or we inherit from our family. There are things that we get to see in other people. And wisdom steps in and says, how is that? What did you learn from that situation? How can you learn from what that person did? Wisdom allows us to see the outcome of situations in other people's lives. We get to observe how it feels to be talked to or treated the way that some people act. We get to see the frustration of someone who, who gets taken advantage of. And we get to learn how to respond in our own lives. For instance, in my own life, in my own family, I could look back and think about some lessons that wisdom might be pointing out to me. For instance, debt leads to bankruptcy or broken relationships. Workaholism can lead to imbalance. I've learned that silence leads to resentment. Secrecy and mistrust leads to divorce. On a good note, giving generously is both an obligation and a pleasure. And there is value in time with family and friends, but there are certainly also flaws and idiosyncrasies, which means we get to accept the good and the bad in our interactions, or we get to isolate ourselves from both the joy and the pain of family. Wisdom plainly welcomes us to observe those outcomes and choose whether or not we're going to repeat from past mistakes. Or, or if we're going to learn from them. I've been able to see some of the most godly men and women who grew up in the most horrific situations. They grew up in godless homes, and yet God got a hold of their lives, and they learned to live differently from how they were brought up. And whether it's the grace of God or their own wisdom, they gain from observation. And wisdom's welcome had bountiful results in their lives. So wisdom welcomes and she communicates and gives us an opportunity to observe. But secondly, I think wisdom makes her welcome plain through revelation. Whether it's books like the book of Proverbs or, or other books of the Bible, God's revealed word gives us so much insight. And one of the beauties of Scripture is that we get to see flawed people and personalities, insecurities, and actions all over the place. God's perfect word was written to point out a good and gracious God in the, in the working in the midst of lives of people who are very broken. We also get to read plainly from direct teachings, whether it's the words of Jesus or the commandments of the Torah or the lessons of the epistles or cute statements from wisdom literature. 
God has revealed his wisdom in his word. So while wisdom presents clear first first impressions, there's also a sense in in which wisdom is like a work of art and displays depth. Because wisdom also beckons pursuit. If we were to expand our study and be able to take more time to contemplate more of the first several chapters of of Proverbs, we would get a chance to see wisdom portrayed from a variety of perspectives, from a variety of angles, so that we can understand the depth of all that wisdom has. David Atkinson notes in his commentary that wisdom's welcome prompts pursuit. She entices us. She draws us in to linger and just look to watch, to pay attention, to reflect, to value her benefits like we might value treasures. Chapter 2, verses 1 to 9 says, My child, listen to what I say and treasure my commands. Tune your ears to wisdom and concentrate on understanding. Cry out for insight and ask for understanding. Search for them as you would for silver. Seek them like hidden treasures. Then you will understand what it means to fear the Lord, and you will gain the knowledge of God. For the Lord grants wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He grants a treasure of common sense to the honest. He is a shield to those who walk with integrity. He guards the path of the just and protects those who are faithful to him. Then you will understand what is right and just and fair, and you will find the right way to go. You see, there's an attentiveness that that wisdom requires, much like having the right Wi-Fi signal, much like having the password to that signal. Wisdom calls us to tune in and and make our ears attentive. Sure, there are things that, that she makes plain, but there's deeper understanding beneath the surface if we will but pursue it if we will search for her. Atkinson again notes, he says, now she is portrayed not only as one of the disclosures of God's presence in the world, but as someone who sometimes hides her treasures and her treasures need to be searched for. She needs to be sought after and looked for like a treasure as rare as silver. The summons to hear wisdom is really a summons to hear God. Wisdom in this way reveals her divine origin. You see, God has revealed himself plainly, making him observable in creation. We read about that in Romans 1. But he's also given us his word, his specific revelation. But then there are those mysterious things that we get to, that prompt us to pursue, that we get to wait, we get to wonder, we get to meditate and reflect and pray and plead and lament. And I think one of the most beautiful examples of this is the life of Job. When you think about Job, when you look at his life, you think, man, Job did everything right. Here's this guy who tried to live with integrity. He treated other people fairly, and he was equitable in his business dealings. Even though his kids were parting their lives away, he was down on his knees interceding for them, praying and saying, God, would you please protect them? Would you watch over them? And then as you, as you, you know, if you remember in the story of Job, he was faced with tragedy. And, and in that moment of tragedy, he was forced to dive 
deeper. He was forced to mourn, and it seemed like to take on a quest for understanding. The miserable advice of his counselors just didn't add up. They were saying one thing, and yet Job realized it was something other than what they were saying. The truth was somewhere else. So he searched and he searched, and when God finally responded, when God finally revealed the treasure of who he is, Job was faced with the reality that, yes, generally speaking, as we read in chapter 2, verse 8, the paths of the just are guarded, and right actions result in good outcomes. But we also have to recognize that suffering is not always a result of poor decisions. There is There is more at stake. There are spiritual forces at play, and yet God is still in control. Job was vindicated and God was glorified even through the suffering. And Job's pursuit of wisdom rewarded him with peace. And I think in our lives there are places where we can learn things once but then find deeper understanding and comprehension about why those truths are true. In order, in order to grow in our understanding of God's ways, of his wisdom, we have to linger. We have to dig and search and pursue and stay connected to him. And I think all of this involves humility. It involves an acknowledgement that we don't know all that wisdom and all that God in his wisdom needs to teach us. We still have so much to learn. So wisdom plainly calls and she invites us to dive deeper in in understanding, but there's also a sense in which, as, as we saw in the main passage that we're considering, that wisdom reveals some mockery. And I almost changed that word this morning, mockery, because we think, wait, 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 this doesn't make sense. But you see, wisdom corrects, but does not compromise. Let me ask you this. Have you ever been in one of those conversations when you and the person you're talking to are are talking about something and you're both convinced you're right and yet you have your different answers? We could, whether it's something in math or something in the news or some trivial thing about sports, you're both dead set, yes, this is true, I am right. Then how do you respond when you are right? Do you just take it graciously and step back and say, okay, so I was right, and move on? Or do you stand and gloat? Do you boast and say, ha, see, I told you so? Solomon seems to paint a picture that wisdom, when she is not paid attention to, when when we don't listen to what she says, it's as though she does the latter. It's as though she stands up and mocks us, not because she's cruel, Not because she's mean like that, but because her standards are fixed and sure. By nature of her advice and our our potential rejection of that advice, wisdom mocks our foolishness. She's not doing it viciously, and I think it's simply a byproduct of ignoring her. In some ways, wisdom is just being factual. She spoke. We refused she laughs. We get to the, the pain of our mistakes. Sort of like Dr. Phil's famous statement to his counselees, how's that working out for you? She begins 
uh, by providing a bit of correction. Look at verses 24 and 25. She says, I, I called you so often, but you wouldn't come. I reached out to you, but you paid no attention. You ignored my advice and rejected the correction I offered. When we've ignored her advice enough, we're left with nothing except to learn from the school of hard knocks by personal experience. And as a result of, of the wisdom of God's ways, they will not compromise. And I think we need to grasp that. Our society doesn't like the fact that God's ways are sure and true. We want it any way we want it. But wisdom says, no, there's only one right way. You can't have it this way and that way. This is right. And you either live by it and live, or you don't. And then the mockery sets in. Our own wisdom gets revealed for the foolishness that it is. Look at verses 26 to 31. She says, So I will laugh when you are in trouble. I will mock you when disaster overtakes you, when calamity overtakes you like a storm, when disaster engulfs you like a cyclone, and anguish and distress overwhelm you. When they cry for help, I will not answer. Though they anxiously search for me, they will not find me, for they hated knowledge and chose not to fear the Lord. They rejected my advice and paid no attention when I corrected them. Therefore, they must eat the bitter fruit of living their own way, choking on their own schemes. When we get caught up into making foolish decisions, unwise choices, when we reject the wisdom the life that wisdom offers. We get tangled up in our own folly. So wisdom, she gives off first impressions and prompts deeper pursuit. She doesn't compromise. But finally, this passage, I think, reveals the reward, and that is wisdom's blessing. See, just as we zoomed back out after looking at that piece of art, now we get to appreciate the art for all that it is. And I think wisdom, when we realize, yeah, I've made some mistakes, oh, let me not do that again. And when we begin to say, yes, this is how I should be living, we begin to see there is so much more life and flourishing that wisdom offers when we do it God's way. When we heed the, the advice that wisdom gives, we get rewarded with blessing. Look at verses 32 and 33. It says, For simpletons turn away from me to death. Fools are destroyed by their complacency, but all who listen to me will live in peace, untroubled by fear of harm. Wisdom seems to reward us with peace and security. Now, as we can see in the life of Job, this security may not be without suffering. And Job could be at peace because he lived with integrity. He could cry out to God because he knew that the troubles he encountered were not of his own making. And he could see, get to that place of peace where he knew God was still in control. So let me close with a couple thoughts. Wisdom, the wisdom of God, I think, is practical. And it's something we can appreciate something we need to pursue in order to live well. It's something that is wrapped up for daily life. But I think the wisdom of God is most clearly seen and beautifully displayed in the gospel. 
You see, in the gospel, we get some first impressions. We, we understand at face value, yes, Jesus died on the cross for our sins. We, my, one of my former pastors used to call the people who come to church on Christmas and Easter CEO Christians, Christmas, Easter only, right? And they know, they know, they've been to church just enough to know that, yes, Jesus was born special and he died and came back to life so we could be free from our sin. There's that at face value. It was so fun this week at art camp to hear some of the kids as, we're, as I'm teaching them some songs. They're getting it. They're understanding, oh, I, this is, they're talking about Jesus. This is what Jesus did. And they knew it. They knew it at face value. But then the gospel also prompts us to go deeper. It prompts us to pursue and to gain internal and personal comprehension. It's not just that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. It's that Jesus died on the cross. And there's a response that you and I each have to make. We get to grasp the beauty and the wonder and the grace of God for each of us if we would but respond. We get to see the gospel on display in our marriages when husbands are loving their wives sacrificially the way that Christ loved the church. We get to see it on display when, when we as Christians begin to live almost upside down in this world. We get to do things counterintuitively against what the world might say is right. We get to live sacrificially in society and see the brilliance of God's ways. But then, unfortunately, the gospel also reveals a bit of mockery. And again, like wisdom, it's not a, a cruel mockery. It's just a simple truth that those who reject Jesus' free gifts, they're not mocked or laughed at the way that wisdom laughs at a fool. Instead, they are pitied and they are mourned. And just as wisdom will not compromise her standards, so Two, God will not compromise his holiness and his justice. For those who reject God's salvation, God gives them exactly what they asked for. And that is an eternity away from him. An eternity separated from his goodness and his love. An eternity in hell. But then when we zoom out and we begin to see the grand story that God is painting, we get to see the big, we get to see a reward because God created things to be perfect and we as humans messed it up. And so God stepped in bringing redemption. And one day as we continue to proclaim the good news, as we continue to live lives that are transformed, as we continue to make God's goodness known to our neighbors, to our friends, to our family, family members, one day there will be a day when God's kingdom in heaven and kingdom on earth are united. And there will be a consummation of all that God intended in creation that was destroyed in the fall, that God is beginning to redeem through Jesus Christ now will be fulfilled in the kingdom to come. We appreciate that our salvation truly is what it is, and that is unmerited favor. And when we look forward to the outworking of his plan, we get, to, we get rewarded in the present with abundant life and rewarded in the future with eternal life. So brothers and sisters in Christ, I want to encourage you, when you're faced with decisions, come humbly, completing before the Lord, seeking his wisdom. Come yielding your life to him so that he might be glorified through you.
and that his plan might continue to work his way out. And I believe we will be able to live lives of flourishing. And if you're not yet a follower of Christ, I want to encourage you, respond to the Lord. Come and see all that he has done for you. When Jesus Christ stretched out his arms on the cross, he did so for you and for me. Will you respond to him and live? Or will you reject him and take your own consequences? Let's pray.